same way. Which way did it go? That way or that way? Right to left. 9-11. A day and a date that's etched in history. Not just the deaths of almost 3,000 people, but the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York and all that they represented at the heart of world trade in a great city in the most powerful nation on earth. Unbelievable, out of a clear blue sky, totally unexpected. Almost 2,000 years ago, a similar devastating an unbelievable event shook the ancient world. After a four-year war and a brutal siege in which tens of thousands of people lost their lives, the Roman army, led by General Titus, smashed down the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And the great temple at its heart, gloriously decorated with marble and gold and Fantastic decor, white marble looming as one writer put it, like a snow-clad mountain over the whole city, was looted and then totally demolished. Devastating, unbelievable, and yet not totally unexpected. Almost 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem, Jesus of Nazareth had predicted this event. We've been making our way through the account of the life of Jesus, written by a doctor named Luke, in the Bible. Now, as the story draws to a close, Jesus issues the final and more detailed description of what is going to happen, not just to the end of the temple, but what will happen at the end of time. If you have one of these church Bibles, just pass me one here. Some of you use the Bible on a phone or a device, that's fine. But it may be more helpful today. We've got a big section. It may be more helpful just to open the Bible and you can see it all then on one page. Okay? Use the phone as well, but it might be more helpful to do that. And we're going to be looking. If you have a church Bible, it's page 1056. If you're not familiar with the Bible, 1056. Luke chapter 21, that's the the big number, the 21, and the small verse 5. And you'll see, if you've got this Bible, the translators, this is not in the original text, they've added a title. The destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. Now, As you listen to this reading, or read it in front of you, keep these two things in mind, okay? The destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. And Carolyn is going to come and read it for us. Where is she? Oh, there she is, with her little bottle of water. Well, then that's good. And I'll try and keep it with you by... Do you want to... So we're on page 1056 of the Blue Bible. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen 
and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is, is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars... On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Well done. Thank you very much. 
That's a long and complex and controversial passage. Let's just pray and ask God to help us focus in the time we have on just what it's really about and what God wants to say to us through it. Let's just pray. Gracious God, we pray now that by your Spirit, you might take this your word spoken by your Son to disturb the comfortable and to comfort the disturbed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me try and summarize what Jesus is saying in this passage to us, just simply in two words. Be prepared. Be prepared. This is a somber passage full of warnings. And it focuses particularly on two particular warnings that we've already highlighted. Look at them down at the text with me. Two things that will be seen. Notice the word see in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. And then in verse 27... At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Keep these two events in your mind and focus. And in the time we have, let me group what this text says under four headings in the form of four negatives. And I'm going to take them in the order in which they come in the text. All right? Here's the first Don't be deceived by imposters and their claims. Jesus says and warns his followers to be on their guard. Jesus and his followers are around at the temple at this time. You see the text, they're looking at the wonderful temple and Jesus gives them this devastating news that this place will be totally destroyed. There'll not be one stone left on another. Now, obviously, they want to know when. What's going to happen? When will this be? What sign will it be? And Jesus doesn't immediately answer this question directly. He'll come to it in a moment. But first of all, he warns them. He says, watch out, you're not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he. The time is near. Jesus has promised that he will return again in power and glory a second time to earth. At the end of time. Before that happens, Jesus said, there'll be many people who arise saying, I'm here, I'm he. They even used the words Jesus used right at the beginning of his ministry when he said, the time is near. The end is imminent. But Jesus says, don't listen to them, verse 9. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Crises always create fear. The bigger the crisis the greater the fear. Think even just at the moment, the international crisis of the coronavirus. hate to remind you of it. I saw a thing this morning that said half of the British population could well be impacted with it. See, the panic and alarm that's caused by that. How much greater the fear is when war threatens. Some of you, I'm going to say some of you, remember the Second World War. Not many of you remember the First World War in person, but... When war comes, think of the alarm that was raised just recently, not long ago, a couple of years, nuclear war with North Korea, Iran, all the threats of these kind of things. And such situations are fertile ground for messianic figures. Jesus says many people arise, and they did arise in the first century after Jesus spoke this, many false messiahs claiming that they were Jesus come back to earth. But Jesus warns his followers, when these things happen, do not be deceived by them, about them or about the timetable. 
Notice what he says, very importantly, in verse 9 he says, the end will not come right away. There's going to be delay. When it does arrive, he says, the situation will get worse. Verse 10, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. But before all this, moving on, Jesus warns his followers what will happen They will face severe persecution because of their allegiance to him. So here's the second negative. Do not be deterred by opponents and their threats. Jesus tells his followers, what will happen to you? You will be imprisoned. You will be put on trial. You will be betrayed even by closest members of your own family and friends. And even put to death, some of you. But in spite of this, he says to them, don't be deterred. Keep on witnessing You will bear testimony to me, verse 13. Don't worry when you appear before authorities. I'll give you the words to speak. Don't worry about how to defend yourselves. No one will resist you. You'll be eternally secure. Not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you'll win life. Speak up. Now what Jesus predicted As we read on in the New Testament, this is enacted out in Luke's second volume. After Dr. Luke wrote the book of Luke under his name, he then followed the story by writing the fifth book in our New Testament called the Acts of the Apostles. And it's an account of all these things happening. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, stood up and witnessed to Jesus. His opponents couldn't refute his wisdom. Instead, they picked up rocks and stoned him to death. After this, the apostles... Uh, remaining in Jerusalem, but all the Christians were, were thrown out of Jerusalem, and everywhere they went, they continued to witness to Jesus. They appeared before kings and governors, and the book of Acts finishes with Paul, the apostle, one of the leading spokesmen for Jesus, appearing before the Roman emperor himself in Rome. And the events of these verses have been played out ever since then, over the past 2,000 years, even to and including our present day. More people were martyred for Christ in the 20th century than all the other 19th centuries put together. You can see where Christians are persecuted still today. I'm always worried when people show a chart like that, which I think is very helpful, and we say, well, this is what's called the suffering church, as if the suffering church is somehow abnormal. We are the abnormal ones who up to this point have not suffered much. You'll see on the map, there's not much on the west and across to America and the northern part of the world, looking at it from that perspective. We have been the abnormal church, but I'd simply remind you that the Christian foundations upon which our society has been based are crumbling and we will face increasing opposition in witnessing for Christ. If you keep up with the news, you'll know that Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, has been barred from six public arenas. Uh, right here in Edinburgh, Destiny Church had arranged an American evangelist to come and speak. They hired the Usher Hall. The invitation has been withdrawn because he said things that don't agree with the common viewpoint of sexuality today. These things will increasingly happen. The worst thing we can do is not to say anything. But if we speak, we need to speak firmly, clearly, and graciously. Don't be deceived by imposters. Don't be deterred by opponents. Thirdly, don't be disturbed by conflicts and catastrophes. In verses 20 to 24, 
Jesus returns to the question that the disciples asked him. When will the fall of Jerusalem happen? And he tells them that when they see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, it's time to flee for their lives without delay. But then he switches from the destruction of Jerusalem to the end of the world and his return to earth. The signs he spoke about in verse 10 are described in awful detail in verse 25. Look what it says. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish, perplexity, at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And using a little parable of the fig tree, he says, when you see the leaves coming on the fig tree in summer, these are the final signs that the end is near. And those who see them will be the last generation on earth. And he says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And so he says, when that happens, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So, just review. These are the two warnings that Jesus issues about the end of Jerusalem and the end of the world. The end of the temple, the end of time. As we've seen, the first of these happened 40 years after Jesus spoke these words. Uh, the uh, The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus describes in detail, awful, terrible detail of what happened when Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans and finally destroyed. The Roman centurions marched into Jerusalem. They smashed down the wall. The temple was pillaged. The general in charge, Titus, wanted to preserve the temple and make it into a temple to his pagan gods. Unfortunately, a soldier threw a burning brand into the temple. The whole thing was set ablaze. And it's rumored afterwards that soldiers prized apart the stones of the temple to try and regate, to get the gold and silver that had melted and seeped down into the cracks between the stones. And so the words of Jesus were fulfilled. The time will come when what, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. But something else was reported about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. There is a story that when the Christians saw what was happening, they were reminded of the words of Jesus in this passage about when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, when you see this happening, normally you flee to the city for refuge. Jesus says, when you see that happening, flee to the hills. And there is a story that when this happened, the Christians... Sorry, I showed pictures and restrictions in Jerusalem behind my pictures. When this happened, the Christians fled to a place called Pella in the Jordanian foothills... And the Christians escaped the destruction of Jerusalem. They heeded the warning and were saved. So what about the second warning then, the end of the world? The signs that Jesus spoke about have not yet been fulfilled. But as he concludes his teaching, Jesus issues a final warning. Here's a final negative. Don't be distracted by pleasure and anxiety. Look again at verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. You see, facing this prospect, you've got two choices. Whoever you are today, looking forward to this, you've got two choices. You can stand up and look up to what's coming that Christ will return 
or you can be weighed down by this life and what it offers. You can be weighed down by the pleasures of life, absorbing yourself in what this life has to offer, and the anxieties of life, all the things that cause you concern, that change your focus. So I I simply ask you this morning, are you weighed down or are you looking up? Let me speak to those of you who are Christians. It's so easy to get weighed down with this life and to lose focus on what really matters, which is when Christ will return and to look for his appearing. It gives a different focus to your life. Maybe another Christian this morning. Here is a serious warning. A modern version of the New Testament translates verse 20, 34 like this. I like this. He says, be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. I don't know where you got shopping from, but it's true. <laughs> Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise. It'll spring on you suddenly like a trap. The word used there is the word of an animal. You're being ensnared suddenly by a snare that grabs the animal. Or a bird. It's going to come on everyone, everywhere at once. So we're to be always on watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Look at verse 36. I've just read that. Pray that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So whoever you are this morning, you need to be prepared for the return of Christ, and you need to ensure that you'll be able to stand before the Son of Man. So how can you escape final judgment? Stand before him on that day. Well, Jesus spoke these words on Tuesday. Two days later on Thursday evening, what he predicted for his disciples happened to him. On Thursday evening, late in the evening, he was betrayed by a close friend, one of his chosen disciples. He was arrested, put on trial before the religious authorities and the civil authorities, and he was condemned to death. This is Tuesday. On Thursday, he's betrayed and arrested, and on Friday, he's crucified outside the city walls. Luke records, it's kind of spoiler as we go through Luke's gospel, but Luke records, at the moment of his death, something interesting happened in the temple. Right in the innermost part of the temple, the scariest bit where only a priest, the high priest, went in once a year with blood offered for sacrifices. Big heavy curtain separated it off. Luke records that at the moment when Jesus died, that curtain was split from top to bottom. The temple, the curtain that separated sinners from a holy God. You see, the temple... At that moment, this great temple, with all its sacrifices, the old way by which people could approach God and find forgiveness was finished and finally demolished 40 years later. Josephus tells us that when Titus, the Roman general, marched into the temple, he went straight into the temple and to the horror of the people watching, he pushed aside the the curtain. And not a thing happened to him. He came out with all the artifacts inside the temple, waving them in his hands. Because the glory of God, the terror of God had departed long since from the temple. 
God declared the death of Jesus on that Friday that we call Good Friday was mission accomplished by raising him from the dead on Easter Sunday. Now through faith in him and through him alone and only through him will we be able to stand before him and avoid that final judgment when he returns coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So what about the end of the world? I simply ask you, and this is a serious subject, it's the most serious subject you could possibly be, simply ask you, are you ready? The question is, do we believe these words of Jesus and his warnings? You see, his prediction about the fall of Jerusalem was fulfilled in detail. His prediction about the end of the world will be fulfilled. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let's reflect on that. Just pray for a moment. Let's think what God is saying to us this morning. Gracious God, thank you that you warn us and your son warns us out of love so that we might take action and avoid the consequences. May we be ready for his return. Help us to focus on the future and that reality and not to be weighed down by the things of this world, by pleasure and anxiety. Refocus our attention again this morning. And if we have never made that decisive step of turning from our own way of life and putting our faith in Jesus, the one who died and rose again and will return in power and glory, may we do it even today before it's too late before it catches us suddenly. Hear our prayer, we pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Kino. What an <clears throat> astonishing passage. Thank you so much, Peter, for taking us through this passage. And thank you all for listening very carefully. Um, now, can I invite you to turn to one or two around you and then to take the next few minutes to chat about what you've learned? And what, we have some starter questions, which is...